Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Light Reading Podcast. My name is Phil Harvey, and I am an editor here at Light Reading. I'm Kelsey Zeiser, and I'm also an editor at Light Reading. Raj Javatkar, a Chief Technology Officer for Juniper Networks. Raj, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I do appreciate you uh, taking the time to give us a bit of your insights today. Thank you. Very happy to be here. It's been, uh, it was great to see your talk at the big 5G event. Uh, you were, uh, uh, it, was, it, it was an interesting event because we're kind of in that stage of 5G deployment where it's no longer a new thing, but it's certainly not sitting still either. It's definitely, you know, the technology itself is evolving even as networks are being set up. Um, so my first question to you, you know, based on what you said at that event, is sort of what's your uh, perspective on Big 5G at the moment in terms of where your customers are at and where Juniper is finding uh, its biggest opportunity? Yeah, so I think uh, that event was exciting for me too because a lot of our partners and customers were there. Uh, one of the big changes I saw is the change in uh, outlook with respect to uh, question of whether 5G is happening, 5G infrastructure, but really getting to a cusp where next year, a lot of the new deployments people are talking about, both in carrier 5G and private 5G, are really coming together, especially the use of ORAN-based architecture. The operators were first time saying they will actually try some deployments out with ORAN, which was a big change for me. Because so far it was all talk about we want to be open, we want to be disaggregated. And in the case of private 5G, what I sensed is that uh, a market is wide open. Who's going to provide that capability, unlike private LTE, is not clear. There are all kinds of players, including lots of startups, uh, managed service providers, of course, the service providers, uh, telcos, and others, completely new players, uh, including some of the public cloud uh, providers, are coming into that market with focus on certain use cases, certain verticals where they say immediate opportunity. So those two big changes I saw. Yeah, it was interesting on private 5G too, because the 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 thing that I took away from that was was exactly what you were saying that that we're not necess- that's not necessarily going to be a de facto telecom market. You know, uh, in certain use cases, it looks like a cloud provider or even an enterprise could be uh, in a better position to be a big uh, private 5G provider. And all the tools are there, uh, especially as as it relates to you know the various components of the the service itself. They would just need to work out uh, how to get the spectrum, or if it's CBRS or something like that. Maybe that's not even that big of a deal. Um, how, what kind of uh, uh, is is Juniper? See, maybe this is more. Uh, Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here, but is Juniper seeing a wider variety of use cases for private 5G or for, uh, or I said, shouldn't say use cases, but a, a wider variety of companies involved in the deployment side? Uh, yes, I think I'm saying that, uh, first of all, I think um, I want to separate the hype from reality, right? Hype is that there are, it's going to be everywhere. But I think really people are looking at it in certain use cases. I'll start something which is very interesting. Two examples, Rakuten in Japan, in Kobe, in Soccer League Stadium, showed a virtual reality-based experience being delivered to their fans. 
where you know they overlay on top of the soccer field other content so you can look at your play uh, players data uh, statistics you can look at what if kind of place then the bay area similarly a s- small startup doing private cbrs business network is equipping the one of the stadiums here arenas for concerts and all so that people can start getting personalized content delivery for which somebody will pay right especially gen z and millennials will pay so that's one use case i saw which is really truly directly applicable and achievable then of course when we talk to people like port of long beach port of seattle those ports or distribution centers for large grocery chains or large retailers they see a need because they have automated handlers they have wide area to cover all those are ideal for uh, private 5g because first of all you don't need that many base stations yeah that thing you can protect the one kind of traffic from another using slicing and other mechanisms similar thing is happening with healthcare some of the robotic manufacturing automated uh, uh, things that's what i'm saying so actually it's a confluence of two things real use cases for which people will pay and those are the verticals people are trying to address oh that's interesting i i uh, thanks for reminding me about the the applications of the ports, those are interesting uh, use cases in, in and of themselves because they're um, necessarily, you know, they have to be protected and private and s- totally secure, but uh, physically and operationally, it's quite a challenge, you know, to cover uh, those, you know, places where there's there's all kinds of devices moving in. There's lots of metal containers. You're exactly. also over the water for part of it. It's yeah. it, it just seems like such a different... Um, such a wildly different scenario than what you would find, you know, just providing your typical consumer uh, 5G to, uh, you know, to a neighborhood or a suburb or something like that. And the Wi-Fi doesn't cut it because it requires lots of access points to cover that area. Another example I saw recently is the distribution center for a retailer. It's two football field long, two football fields where all kinds of, like you say, robotic handler, metallic things, and that creates interference. So you have to protect one kind of traffic from another. So slicing is also very applicable that 5G provides as a protection. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and, uh, you mentioned uh, Rakuten. Can you talk a little bit about Rakuten Symphony and, and their um, uh, some of the things that they're working on uh, with 5G right now? So we are partners with them. What we did with them is that we worked with Intel FlexRAN to create this virtualized cell site router, which takes a one UX86 FlexRAN server, adds our data plane and control plane according to protocol stacks. So it becomes literally a virtualized cell site router to take front hall traffic before it goes to mid hall. That's getting deployed. So what Symphony is doing is taking that kind of platform and commercializing it and making it available to other operators. They're also making sure the whole uh, Oran stack they have developed, it can become a, as a service model available. Uh, so that's what they're very public about it. I know about uh, some of the things that they're trying to do. So our approach there is to provide them our RIC, our SMO, uh, as a platform that they can use and we can make it available to them. Just like we did it with the Intel FlexRAN uh, virtualized cell set router, we also have certified now RIC on Intel and platform so that it could be used. So that's the, the partnership with Symphony. Yeah. And, and even though the, um, the, the, the routing device that they're using is kind of their own design, the actual capability is available for any service provider. Like Juniper can provide that software in a number of that's different right. ways, number of yeah. different packages, that sort of thing. 
exactly. And our vision for those kind of things, as including broadly, is that RIC becomes a platform with an open SDK that anybody can write their XAPs and RAPs to add value. Advantage of that is that unlike the traditional mobile network, here you can start optimizing the network, bring innovation. So for example, one of the startups we are working with, they have put their XAP on our platform. They claim to improve the spectrum efficiency by as much as factor of four, not two, three, four. Even if they achieve factor of two, that's a huge amount of money on the table. Sure, yeah. AirHop is working with us to take their SON application, self-organizing network application. They said put them on our RIC platform. So if you provide a platform, you can get a third-party ecosystem of X apps and R apps driving innovation. Very quickly, you can start doing things such as beam formation, traffic steering, uh, much better admission control. Uh, all sorts of applications are possible. I think the, that... Uh, possibilities are endless. That's our vision for our platform. Yeah, that's really interesting with the um, uh, with the spectral efficiency. That's a that because that's you know that's essentially the real estate that everybody's using. And if you're suddenly Absolutely. able to do uh, four times as much in the same amount of real estate, that changes the economics of everything about the service. Okay. Um, are you finding other ways, uh, you know, via technology to cut down the cost? of, uh, you know, of, of, of running a 5G network uh, for service providers, because yes, absolutely. that's absolutely. the thing that they talked about, you know, endlessly at the big 5G event was that, you know, that, that they've got to manage their costs, they've got to get the cost down, you know, like a lot of them were kind of talking about how they're happy with everything as it is. But, you know, obviously, we're not paying that much more for service in many exactly. cases, especially in the U.S., yeah, so there are two examples I'll give. One is that being, by bringing the cloud-native architecture, if you start with the Kubernetes APS server as your controller, then you get the, all the advantages of intent-based framework that Kubernetes provides. So you can automate the entire lifecycle management of the platform, such as how the uh, Kubernetes clusters are created, how they're federated, if you have hundreds of clusters or many clusters in different places, how do you onboard a containerized network function? That becomes much easier because Kubernetes already supports that. So all that creates operational efficiency, especially not just day zero in terms of bringing up the stack, but day one and day two, because you're collecting telemetry now. That telemetry you can feed into a data lake and in all these X apps I talked about, they can take that and start processing to come back with insights that can only feed back into improving the efficiency of the network. It does how automatically you fix problems, predict them, try to take proactively actions. That's one. We also invested in developing an energy efficiency application. By some estimate, radios are 30% of the power consumption in a mobile network. So if you can improve the energy efficiency of the radio access network, you can save a lot with respect to cost for the carriers. And we are, uh, uh, we are really trying to target that. to see how do you improve the energy efficiency. I'll tell you an example, right? This has been done in general purpose processor. When you're not using a processor, it goes idle. It suddenly starts sipping power, right? Same principles can be used by applying software, by noticing what parts are being used, what parts are not. If you have two base stations and the traffic at one base station is very low, it's within the range, you can transfer that traffic to the other base station, power down the other one. So you can achieve lots of energy efficiency like that. These are some examples. So we build an XAP for that. And why XAP? Because then it can be independently upgraded, patched, and improved upon without having to upgrade the entire stack. That's the advantage the disaggregated architecture provides, and we're taking full advantage of that. 
Yeah, Does that's that, really and interesting. Maybe I'm... I don't know, like stop me if I'm simplifying it too far, but <laughs> does does that allow them to kind of dial up and down capacity of the network? Um, and you know, it, it, how does that relate back to the the energy efficiency component? Yeah. That was that's pretty interesting. <laughs> I think you made me think about in a very different direction. Yes, energy efficiency part is so that you don't have to keep them running all the time and save the energy. What you're saying is you could also do dynamic capacity management, maybe, right? That's yeah, that's a possibility. I had not thought about it. It's possible that you could do that. The okay. other advantage is that you know this distinction between small cells mid-sized cells, a macro cells is there. But now imagine that you could, with this kind of energy efficiency, and I think what Phil, you referred to as uh, improving the spectrum efficiency, now you could start collapsing those architectures in terms of common architecture, common platform definition. That also reduces cost, because now you're not trying to design specifically for a particular footprint and stuff like that. And you also touched on, um, you know, data lakes earlier, which like set off a light bulb <laughs> for me. But does um, in your work with operators um, on, you know, gathering all that that new data, does that does five G open up new opportunities uh, for um, data analytics processes for, um, you know just um, being able to do so much more uh, with the data, being able to store it in different ways and, and having access to different edge computing components? Absolutely. So I'll tell, tell you two things here which are very relevant. One is that it was considered, conventional wisdom has been that telcos are reluctant to send data to the public cloud. In the last one year, especially last six months, I've seen a big change. I've been talking to European operators, operators in uh, US, they're all willing to transfer data with some anonymization, removing PI information to the cloud so that they can take full advantage of the analytics, AI, ML infrastructure that exists. That's one big change. And we are trying to show them how that could be applied to this kind of radio access network for 5G because the telemetry data is available, especially because of open interfaces. If all your components are open interfaces, say UD, UR, UREC, and all, you can start collecting data and send it to the uh, data lake in the public cloud. That's number one. Number two, it's not theoretical because we have a company called Mist.ai we bought three years back. That is today delivering cloud-managed AI ops-based Wi-Fi solution for enterprises. We have design wins in four of the Fortune 10 companies, largest retailer in the world, largest uh, some of the pharmacy chains and all. And we have shown that that data lake exists where? Either in AWS or GCP. And that's being used without violating any privacy or proprietary information. So when I combine those two trends, one is that people being very open, telcos being open-minded, and secondly, they have a concrete example to look at it. So I'm not trying to prove something theoretically. Those two things are coming together, and I'm beginning to see that there's a lot of energy behind this approach. Yeah, that's interesting. The mist, because uh, I, I was going to, you know, in your talk, uh, you had tied the Juniper's automated uh, WAN capability in with, you know, its its ability to provide uh, uh, not just uh, AI and security and all kinds of things to the you know five G operators. And I think I think I think that's starting to be. So you're saying that in the market, that's starting to become more clear to the service providers. They're sort of seeing they had, maybe they had already bought it for their enterprise, 
yeah. or, or we're taking advantage of some of these capabilities and now they can kind of see the bigger picture. And they're also a channel for us for missed Wi-Fi for uh, telcos as a channel to deliver it to the right. enterprises. So they're beginning to see it actually. One of the largest cable operators in United States, I was talking to recently, they are our customer for me. They want to apply it to other things because because of that. And this concept of assurance, service assurance, that you are addressing all the aspects of the network lifecycle collecting data, providing insights to feed them back for automated operation is a very powerful thing that can reduce their operational costs. The other thing is finding skilled workforce is very high, right? So this sort of uh, augments your workforce with new skills that can be automated. Yeah, my staff's always commenting about a better, more skilled workforce and how that would help them in their jobs, but I don't, I don't know what they're talking about. Um, <laughs> what, uh, when, uh, Kelsey, did you have a follow-up or do you want, I mean, not of my stupid. Oh, I mean, I, I was just going to say, kind of remind me, um, uh, Ian was reporting on, uh, Vodafone looking for, um, adding, I think 1400 people and, and, uh, more skilled workers, but, um, you know, it, it sounds like it's very expensive depending on which region you're looking at to have those workers from. And then there's a very limited pool. So, um, man, that's just such a huge challenge, uh, yeah. I think for, for service providers and for suppliers, uh, in the, in the near future. What does the, the, um, sir, you know, the ability to provide more, uh, detailed service assurance, how do, how does that like, you know, like back to that original problem of, uh, you know, uh, the service providers are, are supplying a 5G service, we're buying it, but we're not paying that much more. Can, right. can that service, can, can that ability to uh, uh, do more automated service assurance pay off for them, you know, make that, make that service more profitable? Or is that something that has to be kind of uh, is that more of an upsell on the enterprise side, you know, when they're sort of addressing enterprise needs? No, I don't think it's upsell. It is really a substitution to all, uh, uh, a substitution to the existing providers who do on-prem mm -hmm. Wi-Fi service, which requires manual intervention. Somebody standing there in a network operations center, staring at a big screen and looking at alerts and stuff like that. Now, what you're doing is you're self-resolving some of those tickets, providing predictively, proactively uh, uh, suggestions for what could be done. One a great example I'll give you is that when you put the access points in the ceilings in multiple places, right? Uh, the MIST has an innovation where they have a built-in Bluetooth mesh which spreads the signals to other access points. And based on that, where you are sitting, suppose in a cafeteria at a desk, they know where you are sitting with respect to each of the access points. And if you are beginning to see, they measure every five seconds, uh, that beginning to see lack of signal or not good coverage, they automatically switch you to the other access point. A person mm. sitting in a network operation center will not be able to do that quickly. And first of all, to figure that out will take time. So I think yeah. those kind of things are just the advantages you can offer to your customers. In the case of uh, RAN, Radio Access Network, this is a similar thing. Many times we move away from one place to another, our uh, coverage drops, a Zoom call freezes or something like that. Being mm -hmm. able to monitor that, maybe telemetry is collected every second, not too frequent. And you could start taking actions. That's very powerful from them from what they want to offer as service level expectation, SLE, not just SLA. And this can really increase the revenue and much better customer satisfaction, which itself is 
intangible but very valuable yeah, yeah. That's, that's really interesting and I'm, I'm just like picturing um you know with the we talk a lot about the distributed and hybrid workforce now so having folks uh maybe you have a big office space but you only have a few people coming in at a time and making sure that they have uh quality connectivity wherever they are um in this vast office yeah. <laughs> space or if they're doing you know meeting in a conference room or um <clears throat> like you mentioned uh you know venues even so yeah, two of two of the universities on the East Coast, I, I don't know the public names, so I won't name them, have switched to missed Wi-Fi for that reason. Because of virtual learning, the kids are sitting in lawns and so outside to take classes and they want good coverage. And mm-hmm. you need uh, this kind of thing. So imagine that uh, Wi-Fi could be augmented with no private 5G. They can really mm-hmm. provide a very good experience and students will really love it. Yeah, so, so you can really... Uh access your online courses from the hammock and the quad (laughs) (laughs) classroom is anywhere (laughs) uh yeah i think you you, you, maybe you were a pioneer in that field before before connectivity was available kelsey i'm I'm sensing uh always in the library phil (laughs) right sure sure um Raj uh, Yavatkar, thanks so much for uh, for taking the time. Uh, we, we do appreciate it, and uh, uh, we're we're going to wrap up now. What's the best place for people to uh, uh, go and sort of learn more about Juniper's vision of five G? Obviously, we can go to the Juniper Network site. Is there anything specific you 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 want to point us to? Yes, we have put out a very comprehensive, uh, compelling demo of how the uh, rig-based slicing and all can help you with admission control use cases and all. That's available uh, in a public place. I think the, we the, have a link out of light reading also. As we'll put well a as, link uh, through our show notes in the in yeah, the, in this episode. That, that'll be a good place to uh, look for it. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Uh, well, again, thanks so much for for taking the time. Really enjoyed your uh, your talk at uh, Big Five G event, and uh, and and uh, uh, and I hope you have a great uh, uh, long Fourth uh, of July weekend. Thank you. Same to you, and it has been a pleasure. And thank you for hosting me. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much. Bye bye.